Dear Prudence. 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 Do you think that I should contact him again? Help. Help. Thanks. Thanks. Thank you. Hello, and welcome back to the Dear Prudence Show. Once again, and as always, I am your host, Dear Prudence, also known as Mallory Ortberg. With me in the studio this week is Paola Dianan, a TV-obsessed HR professional from Northern Virginia. Um, Welcome to the show. Thanks. Thanks for having me. Thank you so much for bearing with uh, a couple of false starts. Um, (laughs) I'm so glad that we have finally got another HR person on the show because... uh, I feel like those are the questions that I get the most often that I feel the least equipped to handle, just in the sense of like, sometimes I'll say either, I think you should go to HR, or I think you shouldn't go to HR. And I don't always know what I mean. Like, what does going to HR entail? How do you do it? What happens next? I realize I've just sort of said like, like, go see the Wizard of Oz, and he'll know what to do. (laughs) And that's just where it ends. Yeah, I I just kind of tend to give the advice of HR because I'm working in HR. So I tend to tell people that they will solve all problems. Um, And yeah, no, it's just kind of whenever there's a concern. And if there's someone that you have to go above, just like your boss, if you've had a conversation, I tend to point people to HR. However, the problem with that is that not everybody has good HR. So Mm -hmm. it really just depends on, you know, who their HR is and what that HR department's kind of main concern is, because sometimes it's the company, sometimes the employee. So it really just depends. Yeah, I was thinking of this especially because this morning in the live chat, I had two sort of like hiring or dealing with conflict among employees questions, both of which felt really intense. Um, One of them was this hiring manager who was contemplating they work for like a nonprofit that works with like at-risk youth. Um, and they were like, I'm thinking of hiring this person, Janice, who would work with clients. And she has great references. But I know her to espouse her religious beliefs a lot. Um, and I have heard that like to her former coworkers, she has made homophobic and Islamophobic remarks. But oh she's God. the best candidate so far. Um, that actually felt pretty simple because I was like, definitely don't hire her. Like, yeah, this is not no. a conundrum. Keep Find more candidates. There's there's people out there that are not awful and still have good skills and education. So yeah, it, yeah. it would be better to go an extra month or even a couple of months without someone in that position um, yes. rather than, than hiring someone to work with at-risk youth who you know to be like a religious That's, evangelist and bigoted. Like, I don't even know how that can even be a question of like, should I hire this person? No, they sound bad. You should not hire them, please. Yeah, I I think it was one of those (laughs) things where when you say it out loud, you realize there's not actually a conundrum of any kind. Right. Um, Yeah. So that was pretty easy. But the other one was was even trickier. Um, It was somebody who looks quite young. Um, and is often like in the workplace referred to as like kind of infantilizing nicknames um, by other women, like uh, not sweetie, not in a, like sweetie, mm-hmm, sweetie, kid, yep. short stuff. Yep. Um, <laughs> and and like, it, in fact, went so far recently at like a, an office party. One of their colleagues um, had sort of drunkenly taken a glass of wine out of their hand and said, like, kids shouldn't be drinking wine. And then oh. when the letter writer was like, oh, I I am not a child. I'm 22. Uh, the colleague demanded to see her ID. <gasps> oh, and my then, gosh. Yeah. And then the super, you know, she, so she brought it up to her supervisor because she was feeling quite, uh, you know, understandably unnerved by this. And the supervisor said this woman lost both of her children in a drunk driving accident a few years ago, a- 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 sort of as if to say, so we should all let this slide. Yeah, um, that makes it OK. Which is just obviously that's very painful. I I, I I can imagine that that would just be something you would carry with you for the rest of your life. Mm-hmm. Um, but also, that's not good behavior at work. No, no, it's not. And that's, you know, that's kind of tricky because if it was like at a holiday party, sometimes the rules can be a little bit different because it wasn't necessarily like on company time, but that person sounds mean. And yeah. uh Is it different? Like, I mean, if it's an office party, even if you're not technically working, like it is a company event, right? Like it's Mm -hmm. not. Yes. It's not like, oh, we just all happen to run into each other at this bar. Right. Like if it's a company sponsored, that's who's paying for everything. That's who invited you. And that's why you're all together. Yeah. 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 
But yeah, I do I do feel like that is a person who should probably go to HR. I think actually my advice was definitely go to HR. Um, yeah. Especially because it's such a pattern. Yeah, no, I mean, especially if that, obviously it's something that happens really regularly that she's getting comments about it. So I don't know. I honest, I'll be honest with you. I look young for my age as well. Mm-hmm. So I've had conversations, not with HR, but like my manager about, hey, other people think that I'm very young. And sometimes I think they doubt my ability to do things. And it sucks. So please fix this. I think it's rough when people do that in part because like it's it's I mean, obviously, like there are things that a person can do in terms of how they dress or present themselves. But like assuming mm-hmm. that that's all controlled for people can't help how they look. Um, yep. If if you look young, if you're very tall, if you're you know kind of fill in the blank, um, that's just sort of how you look. And it's yeah. I, I think often people will write in and say, like, people say things about this to me all the time as if I don't know what I look like. Um, and in a way that is really tiresome. And it's just like, yeah, that's just what 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 information are you trying to impart to someone when you yeah. say things like you look young? Yeah. Like, what can they do with that information? Exactly. There's nothing productive that can come from you telling me this. Right. Right. Uh, so if, if nothing else, anybody who's listening, if you work with someone who looks young, don't tell them that. Yeah. Because they can't don't. do anything with that information. <laughs> and time will come for them, you know, as it comes for us all. Yeah, um, pretty and much. Eventually, the withered hand of death will reach oh, out yeah. and touch their I'll, countenance. I'll reach like I'm probably just going up real slow, but once I get to the top, it's probably going to be a very steep fall. We all get there, or we don't. Yep. Um, in, in, in which case, <laughs> that's that's sad in a different way. All right. Well, yep. now that we've now that we've like opened with with death and and degradation, yeah. um, I'm very happy now. <laughs> yeah. Um, actually, uh, this this is sort of. The theme of our first letter, uh, which I feel a little bad for for leading in with, with such a jocular tone. So I will yep. um, switch to a more somber attitude and, and just start reading this letter and move on. So the subject line here is sick at work. Dear Prudence, this summer my father died unexpectedly. The weekend after Thanksgiving, my niece was killed in a car accident. Since then, I've been experiencing migraines and increased anxiety. I've had to miss a lot of work due to this. I filled out medical leave paperwork recently since I also had an anxiety attack at work. I'm an ICU nurse, and I don't want to leave my unit. However, I realize that I'm not doing as well as I thought I was after the death of my loved ones. At my yearly evaluation, my manager said that she thought I should look for another job, not due to how I'm performing at work, but due to all the sick time I've had to use. She suggested I apply to another position within the hospital. I feel like she didn't give me much choice. I don't know what to do. This is just causing more anxiety in my life, and I'm trying to get better. This is tough. I I mean— Obviously, like letter writer, I'm I'm so so sorry, and it makes a lot of sense to me that you are not like immediately back on your feet. Just like I'm doing mm-hmm. great, um, and and I think it is hard when there's that sort of push and pull between I'm not operating at like maximum functionality, but I also mm-hmm. don't want to, especially if I'm doing a good job when I'm at work. I don't want to feel like I'm being pushed out of my position when I don't feel like that's necessary. And it was a little unclear to me. I don't know if you had a particular read on like, did you feel like the boss is offering a kind of unwanted suggestion or the boss is kind of saying you need to start applying for other jobs because I'm considering letting you go? So the way I took it was the boss just like a very insensitive, not thinking comment that was like, hey, maybe I guess, you know, I'm taking a lot more from it that maybe is there. But I took it as them just not thinking about it and saying, maybe you should try something less stressful Or, you know, maybe you should try something that, you know, maybe doesn't require full time, um, but still is not something I think you should say or bring up unless the employee brings that up to you, um, which it doesn't seem like she did. If that's the case, do you think it's worth the letter writer going back and saying, hey, I want to make it really clear. I want to stay in this job. I love this job. When I am able to be here, I'm doing really good work. My goal is eventually to, you know, I'm not taking sick time. it doesn't sound like they're taking like more sick time than they're entitled to. I'm, I'm mm-hmm. kind of curious if this is simply they have been using all of their sick time and there's kind of a culture of don't use your sick time. But it doesn't it doesn't sound like you're making mistakes or you're taking off more time than you're entitled to. So I, I think my instinct would be to go back and say, like, here's what I want, um, which is to continue doing this job. I do not want to transfer jobs. Can you help me do that? Like, can we work together on this goal? Yeah, no, I I actually wrote in my notes that she really should go back to the manager and say, you know, I 
going back to our initial conversation, you did recommend I apply to another position. I'm not interested in applying to other positions. I want to do my current position better. Um, and that's what I'm hoping to do. You know, once I can really get my feet on the ground, uh, you know, she's dealt with a lot of stuff. So mm -hmm. I, to, for anybody to expect the letter writer, the nurse to, you know, be able to handle everything and just jump in back to work, like you have to be crazy. So I, I just feel like there should be another conversation Like that should not be the last conversation that's held between them. Yeah. So I, I yeah, I, I think you have a lot of room to say this letter writer, um, especially to just say, like, I feel like we didn't get a lot of clarity the last time that we spoke. I just want to reemphasize what my goals are. Like the reason that I took that medical leave was to address my increased anxiety. Um, I, I, I can't promise you that I'm going to be like fantastic tomorrow, but I am taking all the steps necessary in my own life um, to make sure that I can be at work when I need to be and do my job to the best of my ability, which I love doing. Um, and that might be helpful, too, in just making yourself clear to your manager. And if your manager comes back with some concerns about your performance or, you, you know, reframes it as, yeah, I said it as a suggestion, but actually what I mean is you need to do this. At least then you would know, like at least you would have mm -hmm. clarity. Um, and hopefully that's not your supervisor's response. Hopefully your supervisor says, okay, that's good to know. Um, let's figure out ways that we can work together to make sure that you can stay in your unit, given that that's your goal. Um, and I, I'm just really sorry. Like, I'm really glad that you're taking the time off that you need um, to deal with the physical and emotional after effects of these two really profound and unexpected losses. That's a lot to go through in like a short time span. So in regards to the sick time, uh, I do want to say that typically if you are accruing any type of like leave, that's yours to use however mm -hmm. and whenever you want to. So that's also something that this, the letter writer should keep in mind um, is that, you know, if you're using your sick time and that's not what normally people do where you're working, that's, I mean, to be so harsh, that's not your problem. Like you earned it. You get that as a benefit. You get to use it. Yes. So there shouldn't be any guilt about using your sick time. They shouldn't give you sick time if they don't want you to use it. Yeah, I, I sometimes will hear about that from people and I feel so much frustration with any kind of management culture that's like, here's your PTO, here's your sick time, better not use it. And if you mm -hmm. do use it, we're going to like really kind of like bring the pressure. Yeah, it makes me crazy. It's it's just not realistic. To yeah, I mean, these are humans that require sometimes to not be at work. Yeah, people get sick. People. Yep. I, yeah, especially like given that you work in like nursing your yeah. supervisor should know more than anyone that people get ill um, and that when they're <laughs> ill, they, they need medical attention and they exactly. can't just go about their business um, yep. in the same way. Um, yeah. But yeah, good good luck. I, I'm hopeful uh, that this is something that will be uh, improved by having that conversation and, and just knowing that it is okay to say those things and to clarify with your supervisor. Um, and uh, yeah, I, I hope that their response is, is a good and supportive one. Mm-hmm. All right. Would you please be so good as to read our next letter? Sure. Uh, the subject of this one is Nutty Friend. Uh, Dear Prudence, my husband and I are friends with another couple. We all went together to a bulk food health store. I was horrified to see my friend scooping up large portions of expensive nuts from different bins and munching as them as she walked around. She did not even buy any of the items she was eating. This is stealing. I walked away so I would not be associated with her, but short of not going into a store again with her, what can I do? She and her husband are not rich, but they live comfortably and can afford to buy most of the things they want. So I laughed a lot <laughs> when I read this because something not terribly dissimilar happened uh, the first time that Nicole Cliff and I went to a grocery store together. Oh, goodness. And not on the same scale, to be clear. <laughs> I, I sampled a grape. Um, and her face when I did that was just like... She had never – I felt like I was the bad kid in a, like, after-school special who was like, want to go shoplifting? Oh, my gosh. You are the bad kid, though. It was one grape. <laughs> we ended up buying grapes. I, I, no, I just felt no, like I, I should confess. I, I read this, and I was like – when she said, this is stealing, I was like, it is stealing. I would likely scuttle away from embarrassment of the person that I'm with grabbing things out of the bin by the handfuls and chomping yeah. on them. Yeah. I mean, I feel like a real hypocrite <laughs> uh, having confessed already to 
eating a grape, but oh I do gosh. feel like large, like, handfuls of, <sighs> I don't know, like, macadamia nuts, like, multiple oh times. Like, that's... It's, it's gross also. Aside from the stealing, let's go back to the gross factor of this. Like, your hands are now, like, some poor macadamia-loving person is going to come up within the next 10 minutes to get their macadamia nuts, and they're going to have no idea that there were hands in there. And that's yeah. terrible. Yeah, no, I mean, uh, absolutely. It's it's difficult because I would imagine her response to your saying anything would be something like, don't be ridiculous. And it's always hard when you're trying to tell someone that something isn't ridiculous and that's their only <laughs> response. Um, yeah. But yeah, I mean, you know, it's not stealing a, a you know, she didn't steal a car. Um, but yeah, absolutely. You can say, you you can definitely... It's not hard not to go to the grocery store with friends. Um, yeah. And it's also fine to say, like, you should pay for that. And to just say it and, like, let it sit there. Like, you don't have to get into an argument <laughs> back and forth. But just to say, like, yeah, you should pay for the food that you eat. Yeah. I mean, as far as the what can I do, like, if she didn't – or well, I guess if the person, the letter writer, didn't say anything at the time, I feel like at this point you really can't say anything. Like, this isn't a let's sit down and have a conversation a week later about the nuts that you stole a week ago at the grocery store. Um, I just feel like that's just even more awkward than the than the nut stealing. Right. You got to so, like you got to yeah. keep this in a sense of scale where, like, I think this would have been worth saying something in the moment. It's mm-hmm. maybe a, a little odd to bring up later um, yeah. and might make things into a, a bigger deal than you would want to. But yes, absolutely. Don't go to a grocery store with her again. Um, certainly, if for whatever reason you have to and you see her do it again, you can say like, you got to pay for those uh, many, many Brazil nuts that you've just consumed, my friend. <laughs> Pretty much. Yeah. I mean, I don't know. I But the funny thing is, is as I was reading this, I would be, the like I said, I would be the person that would be mortified and suddenly have to buy something and find something on the opposite end of the store. So oh, I, I would, would not be next to this person with their hand in the bin. Uh, there is 100% a version of reality where I'm with someone who does that. <laughs> I don't say anything. And then when we're in line, I say to the clerk, oh, by the way, I had two handfuls of macadamia nuts. Can you charge me for that? Like, which Please is maybe sure. the worst possible choice because it's super passive aggressive. Oh, um, my God. And it's also a lie. Which is just weird. <laughs> um, but I can absolutely see myself doing that. Yeah, like, you know, I'm feeling really bad about that grape, by the way. Um, you, should, you should just take one of your grapes from your home and take it back to the store. That does not seem uh, commensurate. But yeah, like when I was a kid, occasionally when my mom would take us grocery shopping, we would be like, I want a banana. And she would like bring the peel with her up to the front and be like, please charge us for this banana that my children ate as we were walking around the store. So right. I don't know where I got that grape thing from because clearly my mother did not teach me to behave like that. But yeah, if you're eating fistfuls of nuts, it's kind of gross um, and you should pay for them because nuts are expensive. Yeah, agree. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're, you know, you you are a good person, letter writer. You are an ethical person who is on the right <laughs> side of history. Congratulations. <laughs> yeah. And like, uh, oh, it would be so embarrassing if somebody had come up to your friend and been like, you got to pay for these. No, that's, that's exactly how I would have run away. Like, I can't even... Oh, I'm getting really uncomfortable even thinking about it right now. Just like somebody coming. I hate getting in trouble. Mm-hmm, so same. if even a grocery store employee was to walk up and be like, hey, uh, what are you doing? I would be mortified. I would ban myself from the store. Oh, my gosh. All right. Well, yeah, I think we've I can't do it. I can't handled do it. this one, you know. Uh, oh, oh, by the way, I just got a text from my producer informing me that uh, Berkeley Bowl, which is like a very, very fancy local grocery store, um, bans you for life for grazing, apparently. <gasps> well, like they, it's an appropriate they, response. But like, do they put up pictures? Like, how do they remember <laughs> you? Like, I feel like you could get banned for life and then six months come later with slightly longer hair and be like, I'm oh a different gosh. person. No. Imagine the shame of having your face in a grocery store cash register because you're not allowed to go back because you put your hands in the bulk food section. I feel like the kind of person who is grazing so conspicuously that they're getting banned for life might also feel, you know, up to the task of trying to sneak back in. Like you might be dealing with someone (laughs) uh, that shame doesn't work on. No, Um, I can't be friends with rule breakers like that. It's it's pretty intense. It is. You know, there is a part of me that admires that sort of uh, 
will to power. Um, <laughs> but I don't think that the world would be a better place if we all behaved that way. So mm-hmm. let's, let's leave it comfortably in the world of fiction. <laughs> all right. So moving on, the subject of the next letter is open-minded with a question mark, which tells you something right there. Mm-hmm. Dear Prudence, I have an internet friend who I think is a very interesting, very intelligent person and generally someone whose thoughts I enjoy hearing. We've talked one-on-one a couple of times and have a lot in common. She gives frequent audience to other friends and acquaintances who have really abhorrent views. I and other people on her social media have been harassed and called names in the comments of her posts, and she often responds with something like, such and such is a really good person. I don't want everyone to think that just because they disagree about whether a minority group has human rights that they are bad. They're my friend and I love them, so please be kind to them. I find this open-mindedness to be lacking in personal courage, and it makes me wonder if she's really all that good a person herself if these things don't bother her. Maybe I would do better to be more open-minded, even to people who I think should be shut down in political discussions. I like her, and I like engaging with her, but I have a hard time with this. So, no, don't try to be more like this, (laughs) is my first gut reaction. Uh, You can't defend people who are, like, spewing hateful things. Um, That's not who you want to be, and I don't think that that's, you know, being a good person to defend people that are maybe not good people. So first step is don't try to be more like that person. That's where I go immediately. Yeah, and I think it's always difficult when somebody tries to shift the conversation from whether or not a certain idea should be given weight or room in a conversation um, over to whether or not their friend is a good person. Um, I I think that can kind of be a distraction uh, a lot of the time. Like, you're not... um, you're not asking for her to, like, take a poll on whether or not such and such a friend of hers is a good person. You're saying, I don't believe that, uh, you know, arguing whether or not a certain minority group deserves human rights um, is a worthwhile topic of discussion. Uh, I don't think that it holds any water. I think it's bigoted. Um, and I think that acting as if it is simply another side in an argument um, is wrong and harms people. And that's you have a you know a fair amount of ground to say those things, um, and if her response to that is simply "this person is my friend and I like them," I think that is worth pushing back against. Um, and that's not to say that you have to go start getting into comment wars with this internet friend. Um, that's not necessarily a super productive use of your time, um, and may not do anything other than like escalate things pretty quickly. But um, absolutely, I think, uh, you know, if this is a person you otherwise like and you think that there is a chance that she would listen to you, um, I I think you should, you know, say to her, hey, I've observed a handful of times that you will kind of like give space for somebody to express an opinion um, that's bigoted um, and has to do with whether or not people are entitled to basic rights. Um, And then when other people, I think, rightly challenge those views, um, your response is simply, please be nice to this person because they're my friend. I don't think that that's a useful or compassionate way of talking about ideas. And I want to talk to you about it. And, you know, if her response to that is just more of the same, you know, then then there may not be much of a future for this already sort of casual Internet friendship. Um, And if she is inclined to listen, then you can uh, talk about like it's that's not the point. Whether or not your friend is a good person is not the thing that people are trying to challenge you on. They're trying to challenge you on whether or not. I mean, obviously it is. um, Mm -hmm. But I think it's a needless distraction in in as much as she would always just be able to say, well, they're nice to me, um, which is not no one's no one's in her comment section saying, like, I don't think this person's nice to you. They're saying, like, (laughs) I think this person is, you know, racist, homophobic, transphobic, whatever, fill in the blanks. Yeah. And I mean, it does, they, the letter writer doesn't actually say, or I don't think it says, um, whether or not they've tried to have a conversation with them. Just being like, hey, this, there are people on your comments that are posting things, and I understand what you're trying to do and kind of diffuse this, but, um, you know, these are they're saying really hateful things. Um, it doesn't really say if there's been any type of, like, real one-on-one conversation. They say that they talk about, you know, their thoughts I enjoy hearing, but... Nothing really related to the comments and the kind of back and forth that goes on in the comments. Um, they haven't really touched upon that with the letter writer, doesn't sound like, but they should. 
Yeah, it sounds like you've been having sort of proxy conversations with these people uh, in her comment section. And when they have said like cruel or belittling things to you, her response has been to say, hey, be kind to the person who's saying these cruel things to you. Um, So again, like this is something that's affected you personally. I think that that's something that you can uh, bring up with her. And, and, And again, like if her response is just to totally look the other way, then I think that tells you something about, I think, your instinct that it might lack some conviction and personal courage is probably accurate. Um, And you may decide to limit the amount of time you spend commenting on her posts or engaging with her. But yeah, don't don't let it get drawn into, don't let her set the terms where it's sort of like, if I object to these words or ideas, then I am somehow responsible for dragging down the tone. Like, as long as that's not what you're doing. You're not saying, like, I want to set these people on fire. I want to fantasize about violence against them. I am responsible for for fanning some sort of flame. Like, you're just saying, I think these ideas are, like, harmful and don't need to be given careful, studied consideration, um, right? Like, there are certain ideas that may or may not be worth engaging with. Um, yeah. Or, or may be worth engaging with, but simply to say, like, here's why this is evil and dehumanizing. Um, and that's not unkind to say. That's not unkindness. That's honesty. I mean, I would like to say there, you know, the letter writer says it makes me wonder if she's really all that good a person herself. Um, I don't necessarily think that the person that their Internet buddy is not a good person. There are just people that get very, very uncomfortable with any type of conflict or disagreement so perhaps they're just trying to diffuse before you know they they face a situation that they're uncomfortable with um, and just kind of trying to people please that's kind of what the person sounds like more than anything else Um, I don't know that that's necessarily like they're not a good person Um, it's just kind of that's just what they don't want they don't want to deal with any type of potential conflict yeah and and I think this is one of those things where if you turn the conversation into simply, uh, am I a good person or not? Is this person a good person or not? Then you don't get to engage with the action, right? Like if it's like, this is, I think, an unhelpful framing because it's kind of like, well, there's good people who do good things and bad people who do bad things. And if I'm a good person, then whatever I did must be fine. Um, Mm -hmm. And that's just not how life works. Like good people do harmful things. Harmful people who have a history of harm can sometimes do good things, and and there's a lot of in-between. So again, it's not about either I need to establish that this person is the kind of person who could not have said or done anything um, cruel. Um, It's simply I want to talk about what this person said or did. Um, So yeah, I I, I certainly can understand. I'm not super interested in in telling this person whether or not their internet friend is or isn't a good person, Um, but it does seem like there's a pretty clear pattern um, of choices that prioritize um, friendly ties over honesty um, and telling people who have been harassed to just let it roll off their backs because the person who's harassing them is, quote unquote, a good person. Um, And those are just really clearly bad choices. Um, Those are not um, uh, brave, compassionate, kind, honest, forthright choices that the person is making. A conversation needs to happen that's, you know, why exactly do you feel the need to defend or say that, you know, these are good people when they're saying such awful things? Right, right. Where's that anxiety coming from? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. All right. This next letter, (laughs) this is this is so there's so many like fraught, multi-level friendship interactions going on right now. And (laughs) this one really leapt out at me. So the, the subject line here is simply accidental misandry or just being gay. Dear Prudence, about two weeks ago, my friends and I were watching TV together and they started commenting about how attractive the male actors were. They're all straight girls, and I'm a lesbian. I'm out, and for the most part, fairly calm about it. I commented that I felt nauseated at the thought of interacting with most men because I thought that this was a common feeling. They started insinuating that I might have been sexually assaulted as a child, and then explicitly said that I probably wasn't quote-unquote really gay, most likely straight or bisexual. They kept asking me which men and women I would sleep with, even after I shut them down by saying, sorry guys, but unfortunately at the end of the day, I'm still gay. At the time, I brushed all of this off, but I keep replaying all of this in my head. Should I still be so bothered by it? Should I let this go or revisit the topic with them? Is it really that abnormal that I'm afraid of most men? I'm really close with them, and I don't want to ruin our friendship. Woo! <laughs> so, uh, her friends suck. Um, 
I think it's like why what's with the questioning about like well are you really who you are like that's what that is yeah I I mean to insinuate that somebody else has been sexually assaulted as a child is yeah I, I, I just cannot imagine why you would choose to speculate about that um, I, for any reason I other than know. wanting to hurt someone. There's there's no. Yeah. Yeah. And, and then to say that somebody isn't really gay after they tell you that you're gay um, and then repeatedly asking them, like, which people you would sleep with. Um, that's awful. Um, yep. Like, I, I, I can see why you keep replaying this in your head. Um because I, I would keep replaying this in my head. This is this is really jarring and, and unkind and, and homophobic and invasive. Um, mm-hmm. And just, like, the implications of just, like, I'm gay. No, you're not. Tell us which men you would sleep with. Yeah. That's, that's Are dark. Are you sure? Are you sure you, something didn't happen to you? Oh, like oh that, man. Yeah. No, and it's... It's just, you know, when when the the letter writer asked, should I still be bother, bothered by this? 100% you should. Um, because, I mean, you would, you would never think to ask a straight person, are you sure that you're straight? You know, it's just, I, I don't know how they could find that to be an appropriate question to ask and to push it so much. You know, to just keep keep going and keep asking about it after, you know, your friend has said, listen, like, this is who I am drop it and to keep going like that's the worst part i find is that you know you already know that you've made someone uncomfortable they've already said to you this is who i am be done and they keep going like that's no they're not that's not a friend that's like not who you're that friends wouldn't do that yeah and and to a lesser extent kind of your question of like i thought what i said was going to be pretty like go without comment and part of your question seems to be like, is it that unusual or is there something going on with me? Like, should I expect this kind of response from other people? Um, and I would just say, A of all, I, I don't think there's anything that you could have said that would have justified the sort of interrogation that followed and the sort of like mm-hmm. um, cruel speculation about how you could or should change your sexual orientation. Like, that's pretty um, – you just could not have merited that no matter what you had said. Um you know, sometimes like in private conversation, people work out feelings of anxiety or or um, mistrust or intense feelings about things like masculinity and patriarchy that are not necessarily like the most fully articulated, formulated like thoughts. Um, but it, again, just just saying that like the idea of interacting with men is sometimes painful or nauseating for you, um, even if they had wanted to kind of talk through like some different ways of thinking about that, you know, I think a, a, an appropriate response on their part would have been something like, let's talk a little bit about that. What is it like for you when you when you do have to to interact with men and like mm-hmm. not now like we demand that you fantasize about sleeping with men like that's yeah. so yikes. Yeah. No, I mean, if they thought like it was something more serious, approach it like it's something more serious, you know, don't <laughs> kind of keep badgering and being like well what would you what about this guy you know if you were you know what what would you do with this guy what would you say to this guy like no (sighs) if you really believe that there's something serious that maybe happened or you know talk to your friend like it's something serious i don't understand how it could just turn into this kind of they were it almost sounded like they were really jokey about it you know like it was kind of funny to them to to make to make the letter writer squirm yeah, and just in a way that, like, smacks of the sort of, like, corrective approach of, like, mm-hmm. we will bully or tease or cajole you into experiencing an attraction to men that's just really not okay. Um, so I think part of the reason that you're replaying this a lot is you say you're really close with them. These aren't just, like, some people you kind of knew. Um, and that's part of what's really hard. And, and you say explicitly that you don't want to ruin the friendship. And yet you had an experience with them that I think rightly has been sticking around in your mind because it was really homophobic. It was prolonged. It it persisted despite, you know, your sort of attempts to, like, not engage with, like, this request to fantasize. Um, and it was really invasive. Um, and it's implied that, you know, yeah, it just it, it was 
just bad. It was bad from start to finish. So I think part of what's hard is if you let yourself really feel how bad this was, it probably already does ruin that friendship. Um, Yeah. And that's really hard. Yeah. And and I think a lot of like, you know, I'm really close with them and I don't want to ruin our friendship. I mean, I don't think the letter writer could really do anything at this point to ruin the friendship. I kind of think the friends really have done a, a good job of that. Um, I mean, there is the chance of possibly talking maybe the letter writers closer to one friend over the whole group and they could maybe talk to them and, you know, say, seriously, you guys made me very uncomfortable. You know, sometimes it might be more comfortable to talk to one person that maybe you're closer to instead of address the whole group. So I, I would say maybe try to have a conversation with some or one of them to say, I didn't like this conversation. You made me feel really uncomfortable. You tried to make me feel bad about who I am. And I don't want it to ever happen again. And, you know, I'm, I'm very bothered by what you all said. Um, yeah. Because if they are close friends, if it's like a longtime friendship or, you know, really close, um, hopefully it was just a, a dumb, thoughtless thing that they did. And once they realize how hurt, how much they hurt their friend, that they feel really bad about it. Yeah, and it kind of does put me in mind with that last letter of, like, the ways in which when we are friends with people and they hurt us, there's that sort of panic of, if I really let myself engage with the reality of what this person said or did, then I won't feel safe. And I really want to feel safe, and I want to feel like I can trust the people I love. And maybe if I just don't think too hard about it, or if I just remind myself that this person is a good person, uh, it won't have to hurt um, and not to say that this letter writer is in any sort of position like the person in the last letter, but uh, I can understand that feeling of like the implicit desire in this letter is, is there a way I can understand this where it wasn't really that bad, where they were just confused um, mm-hmm. and where we can move on from this? And I don't want to say definitively that, you know, no one can ever um, find meaningful amends or repair a relationship where somebody has said something not just thoughtless but cruel or or, or dark yeah. or or that suggests a form of sexualized violence. Um, but whether or not that is possible, um, it won't happen um, by you convincing yourself that what your friends did wasn't that bad because it was really bad. So it's not just like maybe you were confused and I didn't really like it. Please don't do it again. I, I think the thing to say is like, hey, guys, you know, and again, you can absolutely do this one on one, but but the thing to the thing to focus on here is I expressed to you a fear um, of men. Um, and your response to that was, were you sexually assaulted as a child? You're not really gay. Um, and demand that I f- tell you what men I would sleep with. Um, that's like just just saying those things out loud. It yeah. kind of makes it clear. I was, I was like, about to say, when you say them all in a row like that, like that is just terrible like that is is so mean yep it's it's just not good and and if their response to that is some version of we were just joking or it wasn't that bad um you get to push back against that and you get to say Mm -hmm. here's how i experienced it i expressed a fear and a vulnerability and and you guys in like dogpiled on me in a really cruel and invasive and homophobic way. And I'm trying to tell you now how not okay it is. And if you keep doing that, then what that tells me is you're not really concerned about how I feel um, and and you don't really care uh, about my boundaries. And that's pretty important. Um, mm-hmm. And, and you know, I want to hope that their response to this would be serious self-reflection, even if it didn't mean you guys were going to be able to return to the level of closeness that you meant, but like really, really reconfiguring the way that they respond to other people's like thoughts and feelings about sex and sexuality and gender that might not, um, uh, you know, like reinforce what feels comfortable and normal to them. But if they don't express a real like, my God, I, I really need to look at myself that I would do this to a friend. If that's not their response, then that tells you something about how safe you are with them. Um, and I, I do think you need to pay attention to that. Yeah. And I, I do think there has to be a little bit of preparation on the reader, on the letter writer side to kind yeah. of start thinking that maybe these are not the friends that you thought they were. Yeah. Um. So kind of start preparing for the fact. I mean, I'm not saying go into it thinking they're bad. I'm probably going to stop this friendship. But 
understand that that might be a potential outcome and it could probably be for the better. Uh, open up some room for, for people in your life who aren't going to question and aren't going to push like that. Yeah. Um, but it is it is. A, I think it's scary to think like friends that you have that maybe they're not the best for you. Um, but I definitely think that that has to be a, a reality that the letter writer thinks about if they, you know, decide to talk to them and, and say how much this hurt and how, how cruel it was. Yeah. And, and I'm just really sorry that had to have just felt so d- disorienting and bewildering to go from I'm watching TV with my friends to uh, I'm expressing a, a real like painful physical response sometimes to um, the prospect of like talking about how attractive men are and the possibility of male violence to all of a sudden my heterosexual friends are all saying things like you're not really gay you were probably assaulted as a child and tell us what men you're really attracted to like my god like if that doesn't justify the like nausea and fear you were experiencing to begin with I don't know what does like you were literally like as a gay woman trying to express something that makes you really anxious and uncomfortable and feel unsafe and your heterosexual friends responded with the very thing that you fear mm-hmm. that's not friendship that's just not um, it's really not and I hope that they that the literator can find new friends that won't yeah. make comments like that won't make you feel uncomfortable about who you are and how you feel. Yeah. Uh, because, I mean, ultimately, not to sound so cheesy, but as a friends are for, to make you comfortable and make you feel happy to be around them and not anxious and have to s- defend who you are. So yep. I hope they yep. find better friends. And I hope you do already have other friends in your life that you can talk to about this and who will respond really seriously and be like, that's really not okay. Are you, Like, what do you need? Can I help you? Can I support you? Because um, that is just a, a really dark thing to have experienced. And I think part of why you're like, why can't I stop thinking about this is because in the moment, in part, I think to protect yourself, um, you sort of downplayed how painful it was just to kind of get through it and get out of there. Um, And then afterwards, when you were actually in a slightly safer, like physical space, your brain was sort of like, hey, can we can we go back to this? Because this is really fucking us up. Um, And it makes a lot of sense that this is replaying over and over in your head because it was surreal. Yeah. Okay. So we got one last question, um, and I think I just read the last two letters, so it is your turn, I believe, to uh, take us home. I will do that. So uh, the subject of this one is, sorry for my Spanish. Dear Prudence, I was wondering how to approach the following subject with my friends. I live in a very Spanish-speaking part of the country. I moved here about six years ago, so I'd say my Spanish is pretty good. However, when I meet up with native Spanish friends, they always insist on speaking English with me and then going back to Spanish with their other friends, excluding me from conversations. They'll even go so far as to speak in Spanish to waiters and then making a point of asking me in English what I want, even though I'll speak Spanish to the waiter the whole time we're out together. I know my accent isn't great. I can't roll my R's like a typical person. But I've been practicing, but I can only produce one rolling R at a time. I feel very singled out when my friends insist on speaking in English to me in a very Spanish environment. I've spoken to my friends a few times about how I want to not stand out and only speak in Spanish, but the minute I make a mistake, they immediately go back to English. It makes me very uncomfortable. I know I can't be completely native here, but I would like to at least be seen like I'm not an idiot. I'm not sure how to go about this. I don't want to be angry at my friends because they're trying to be helpful, but at the same time, I feel very much like there's a neon sign over me that says token English speaking person whenever we go out. So, um, that I, I can, I would say yes, be angry because you've told them a lot of times already that you don't like when they do this. You're trying to learn. Um, I don't know how hard that is to understand. That someone wants to learn a language and not letting them practice is not letting them learn. Yeah, I I think the one thing that you do have control over here is whether or not you continue to speak in Spanish. Uh, And that is something that you can, you know, even if you like, let's say you start out speaking in Spanish, your friends switch to English. um, If you make a mistake, you can keep speaking in Spanish. And I think that that might go at least some ways towards making you feel like you do have some um, autonomy in the situation, um, which is just insist on speaking Spanish. Just say like, you know what, I just need to keep practicing and keep making mistakes. So um, whether or not, you know, I'd prefer that you guys would switch to Spanish uh, with me, um, but I'm just going to keep speaking in Spanish um, because that's the only way I'm going to get better. Yeah. 
And and that's kind of the the way I see it is, you know, if they tell if they try to talk to the waiter for you in English or they try to translate, like you said, just keep talking, keep speaking Spanish and keep forcing force your Spanish on your friends. That's a heck um, of a it's really the oh, <laughs> It's really I, I, the I only way. And I don't think it's forcing. I don't I don't think that that's going to be like a helpful way of looking at it. Um, but just to say, like, if if what I want in this country is to speak the language everybody else is speaking, um, I can mm-hmm. do that regardless of whether or not um, the people around me uh, are, are working hard to accommodate me. I, like, I get to do that even if my friend tries to, like, um, facilitate my conversation with the waiter in English. I can actually just go ahead and address the waiter in Spanish. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I just like I said, I just keep on practicing and doing what, you know, what the letter writers should just keep doing what they need to keep doing. And, you know, if you have to keep saying to your friends, listen, I, I need to keep doing this. Please let me keep doing this. Just I know it will get annoying, but I think it is something that just has to keep being repeated in the moment. I don't know when the conversations about like, you know, when I've spoken to my friends a few times about it. Um, I don't know if it's happening after the fact or if it's happening during but i think it has to be one of those in the moment please let me do my own order take my own order in spanish please let me please include me in the conversation in spanish i'm understanding it might just take me a little bit but please don't don't stop speaking spanish for me but it has to be said in the moment so that the adjustment can be made and remembered right there yeah and i think there even given that you've already had a couple of conversations and that hasn't been super productive to just like quickly in the moment just say something say in spanish i'm going to keep speaking spanish and then just keep doing it um mm-hmm. and like either they're going to look like kind of weird insisting on speaking english and like having you uh, address them back in spanish um or they will eventually pick up the program and hopefully you do have people in your life um you know, again, it, it sounds like uh, you've been living there for six years. You don't say that you have trouble like getting around or having conversations with people who haven't known you a long time. So uh, it, it does not sound like your friends are like kindly trying to help you out when you are, in fact, not fluent. Like it's it's literally just um, that they're not paying attention. They're not listening. They're not respecting your stated wishes. Um, and that's really frustrating. Yeah. No, it's it. I don't know why I, I would feel like they would be more excited that someone's trying to learn um, and try to be more helpful. But I think sometimes, uh, you know, my, my family is actually from a Spanish-speaking country. So when we would go back for vacations in the summer, um, I, a lot of fr- family friends would, would speak to us in English thinking, not that we didn't speak or we didn't know how, but they were trying to make us comfortable. Mm-hmm. Um, and I know it was never done as a, oh, you don't speak, so we're just going to go ahead and speak in English for you. It was, we want you to enjoy your time here and be happy and comfortable, so we're going to speak to you in English, regardless if we were like, no, no, that's okay. Like, we all speak Spanish. It's okay. Um, but yeah, so I mean, I, I'm assuming that they just aren't doing it to to be jerks. I, I think they, they probably think they're making things easier, but in actuality, they're making things a lot harder. Yeah. Yeah. And especially like the the difference between somebody who's visiting for the summer versus somebody who's like, guys, I have lived here for six years. Like, yeah. presumably you work in this country. Presumably you like go out and buy groceries on a regular mm-hmm. basis. Like you've been doing this a while. You've you've kind of made it clear what your intentions are. Um, and I think it's just going to help to be like, all right, whether or not these people get on board, uh, I'm just going to go ahead and keep living my life speaking Spanish in the Spanish speaking country. Yeah. Just is- keep on. Keep on with the Spanish. I mean, that's just going to help you more, letter writer. It's just going to help you keep learning and keep doing better. That way you'll be in more of these situations, unfortunately, or hopefully not, but where they're trying to translate for you and you'll say, nope, in Spanish. You'll say, no, I got this. Don't even worry about me. I realize now that I did not have as many HR-related questions as I had sort of hoped <laughs> that I would because there's – sadly, there is not an effective, efficient friendship HR Um which is a real shame because if there was a good one, okay. I feel like a lot of uh, our listeners and readers could use one. I would probably take a job in Friendship HR if uh, that was offered. That would be um, amazing. Please, we should get on that. Yeah. Please ask me your friend, work friend, or non-work friend related questions and I will help. I will escalate the issue where needed. Um, I would love to be Friend HR. 
Oh, okay. I would love to be friend HR. You know, I was thinking about, uh, <laughs> I don't know how familiar you are with like the old, like sort of obsolete job of a lady's companion, which was someone who would sort of basically be paid to be someone's friend. Um, oh. And I feel like if we could bring that back, we could probably get this friendship HR thing going. If we could really just be like, yeah, friendship is, um, we're just going to make that a job now. Oh, no, this is a capitalist hellscape I'm creating. I'm sorry. Um, <laughs> I, I thought it was like a fun old-timey throwback, and then I realized that I was about to start charging people for acts of friendship. Um, yep. Well, there are, Have you? I don't know if you've seen, my mom recently sent me a video for professional people walkers. Uh, Go on. They walk people for companionship and exercise. I mean, th- those those are all great <laughs> things, and I can imagine there are maybe some situations in which doing so in a professional capacity might actually be really helpful to somebody. So, yeah. Okay, right on. I, I like walking. Sweet. Walking is nice. Professional people walker, friend HR. Yeah, all right. Just well, kind of my dream jobs. We got to find some way to find meaningful vocation um, and, and to talk about acts of friendship that can use outside facilitation without introducing capital to it. If I can figure that out, <laughs> then we're going to be set. So I will assign myself that task from, from this week till next and hopefully by the please, time I... Please, please do. I would love to hear about what you come up with. Um, I would like to hop on board. I'm sure this is a problem that just required my attention. Like, this is how we're going to solve it. (laughs) Thank you so much for coming on the show um, and for, uh, you know, just being a beacon of uh, hope for people who don't have great HR departments. (laughs) Thanks. Thanks for having me and letting me uh, represent those people that work in HR that actually really love employees most of the time. Because sometimes (laughs) employees might make it a little bit hard to love them. If I'm you being know, honest, everybody brings something to the table. I, <laughs> life is a rich tapestry. I haven't said that in a while. Life is a rich tapestry. <laughs> Thank you so much for being on the show. And I hope I get to have you back sometime. Thanks. Thanks so much for having me. Thanks for listening to Dear Prudence. Our producer is Max Jacobs. Our theme music was composed by Robin Hilton. Don't miss an episode of the show. Head to slate.com slash dearprudence to subscribe. And remember, you can always hear more Prudence by joining Slate Plus. Go to slate.com slash plus to sign up. If you want me to answer your question, call me and leave a message at 401-371-DEAR. That's 3327. And you might hear your answer on an episode of the show. You don't have to use your real name or location. And at your request, we can even alter the sound of your voice. Keep it short. 30 seconds. A minute tops. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.